Uh, as always, I'm trying to also plug you into good resources. And I've mentioned before these um, CCEF booklets. Uh, the ones which particularly relate to what we're talking about today is um, firstly one on eating disorders. Uh, and secondly, breaking the addictive cycle, which would apply not just to today, but uh, obviously to what we looked at last week in terms of uh, alcohol as well. So I'll leave those on the back uh, for you to peruse at your leisure afterwards. So before we start, um, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, please speak to us this morning through your word as we ponder uh, the insights it gives us on this practical area of life and this indeed joyful area of life of food, uh, please help us to grow a clearer biblical framework and to then be able to operate within that to your glory, we pray. Amen. Uh, the two 2007 animation film Ratatouille features a rat named Rennie. Uh, Remy has a highly developed sense of taste and smell. And Remy also has a passion for cooking. As we're about to see, Remy's views of food are at odds with those of his father. It isn't stealing if no one wants it. If no one wants it, why are we stealing it? We are Let's just say we have different points of view. <laughs> this much I knew. If you are what you eat, then I only want to eat the good stuff. But to my dad... Food is fuel. You get picky about what you put in the tank, your engine is going to die. Now shut up and eat your garbage. Look, if we're going to be thieves, why not steal the good stuff in the kitchen? Where nothing is poison? First of all, we are not thieves. Secondly, stay out of the kitchen and away from the humans. It's dangerous. I know I'm supposed to hate humans, but there's something about them. They, they don't just survive, they discover, they create. I mean, just look at what they do with food. Good food is like music you can taste, color you can smell. There is excellence all around you. You need only be aware to stop and savor it. Oh, Gusteau was right. Oh, mm, yeah. Oh, amazing. Each flavor was totally unique. But... Combine one flavor with another, and something new was created. I'm sure you'd like to keep watching, but uh, I'm afraid we don't have time. So, uh, Remy, there he is, with uh, some pithy wisdom on food. He's picked up on something very important. Is food nothing more than fuel for the tank? Uh, no, as he said, uh, and as Gusto said, good food is like music you can taste and color you can smell. Food is wonderful, and it has a good role in our lives. So, it's in our interest to have a well-grounded biblical perspective on food, uh, so that we can greater appreciate its benefits and indeed avoid its pitfalls. So, today we're going to think about three things. Uh, firstly, the source of food. Uh, secondly, the good use of food. And finally, the abuse of food. So, firstly, the source of food. Well, as you probably picked up from the kids' talk, uh, food is ultimately a gift from God. 
At Genesis 1, verse 29, when God creates the first human beings, He said to them this, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Food is God's gift to us. And that theme, which occurs right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, runs through the whole Bible. Uh, Psalm 136 says this, God is the one who gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Food is a gift from God. And therefore, what should we do in response? We should say thanks. We should be thankful. And therefore, it is good to say thanks to God every time we enjoy His good gift of food. It's easy to do that in private, but also... Do we also do it in public, or is that a little more difficult? And then the question also arises, are we a bit slow to thank God for food? Uh, Can we be very quick sometimes to tuck in and just skip that part of the meal? Why is that? I think it's probably this. We live in a highly developed society. We live now, if you like, a long way down the food chain. And we forget ultimately that food does come from God, because we're not involved in actually planting the seeds and pulling it up out the ground and cultivating it. Food is ultimately a gift from God. It's not just a result of our hard work, and it's not just a gift from Mr. Coles. Food is a gift from God. But the next question which then arises is this. If food is a gift from God, why isn't God giving the gift to everybody? more than 850 million people in the world today go hungry, chronically or acutely undernourished. Why are almost one in seven of the world's population not enjoying God's good gift of food? Part of the answer is that it is a man-made problem. There is enough food to go around, but because of human sin or pure poor practices, not everybody is benefiting. Uh, there are, there's an unequal distribution of food. Uh, there is war. There is poverty. There is a lack of agricultural infrastructure. There's over-exploitation of the environment. So it is a man-made problem, but in all of this, we can't remove God from the picture. The Bible acknowledges that God does cut off his food supply as a judgment on human sin. Go to Revelation 6. There you have the seven seals which relate to God's judgment. And the shortage of food and famine are one of those seals, part of God's judgment on our world. Remember a couple of weeks ago, pardon me, we went back to Romans chapter 1, which reminds us that as a race, we experience God's wrath and His judgment now. God allows us to bring upon ourselves the consequences of our rebellion against Him as a race. But a godly response to hunger in the world is not just to call people to repentance now, but also compassion and provision. Remember John the Baptist? He tells the crowds who are coming to him, repentance involves sharing their food with those who have none. Now, how we fulfill this obligation 
is perhaps something we need to think through more together as individuals and as a church locally and globally. So, we've seen firstly that the source of food, it's a gift from God. Uh, Secondly, let's think about the good use of food. Uh, What are its purposes? Uh, Firstly, uh, for energy. Uh, Remy's father was right up to a point. Food is fuel. It's fuel for our bodies, and it keeps us going. Uh, 1 Samuel 28, uh, we read about King Saul that uh, his strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day. Uh, So the the woman he's visiting at the time prepares a meal for him. Uh, Verse 22, she says to him, let me give you some food so you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. Why did God make us like this? Why did God make us so that we need this daily intake of fuel? Uh, he could have just made us such that we, we ran like mechanized watches. We just had a battery which only needed changing every year. But He didn't. He made us in such a way that we need fuel, food as fuel very regularly. And I think the reason for it is this. He wants us to remember our dependence on Him. He wants us to come to Him every day and say, Heavenly Father, please give us today our daily bread. He wants us to remember that we depend ultimately on Him for our food. Now, food is not just fuel for our body, but also fuel for our spirit. Uh, 1 Kings 19, we've got Elijah. Uh, He's exhausted physically and mentally and emotionally. Uh, He's just fled into the wilderness from the evil Queen Jezebel. Uh, She's out to kill him, and he's had enough. He's totally demoralized. He sits down under a tree, and he says, God, I've had enough. I want to die. What does God do? Well, he sends an angel to cook for him. At 1 Kings 19, verse 5, All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked, and there is uh, some cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. The point is this. We should never underestimate the good we can do someone by cooking a meal for them. Uh, Do you know somebody who's in hard times at the moment? Uh, Do you know somebody who's a little low, who's having a rough time? we can cook a meal for them and in so doing, help revive their spirits. You see, we can be, if you like, the angel that God sends to them. Uh, They may not feel up to eating it with you, but you can just drop it off for them to enjoy. And I know many of you do this as a ministry to each other, and it's a beautiful and it's a wonderful act of care and love. So, first purpose of fuel, uh, food is a fuel for our bodies and spirits. Uh, Secondly, another purpose of food is for pleasure, for enjoyment. Uh, At the high point of Solomon's reign, King Solomon's reign, we read this in 1 Kings 4. Uh, The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. It was the good life. God's people living under God's rule in God's place and enjoying life to the full. They ate and they drank and they were happy. 
It is incredible when you look at the range and variety of food that God has provided for us. Just think of the variety of fish or spices or fruit or cheese. There are thousands and thousands of them. And when we combine them together, like Remy the rat, you can produce the most amazing flavors and combinations and recipes. You see, enjoying food and cooking is a gift of God. He wants us to enjoy food. And why does he give us this astonishing range of food? Food is not just therefore for fuel. It is to bring richness and vivacity to life. It was Voltaire who said this, Nothing would be more tiresome than eating and drinking if God had not made them a pleasure as well as a necessity. There it is. Okay, third reason for the purpose of food, for relationship. I don't know if you've read uh, any of the cookbooks by Laurie Colwyn. Uh, She opens one of her books, uh, Home Cooking, with the following words. Unless you live alone in a cave or are a hermit, cooking and eating are social activities. And even hermit monks have a communal meal once a month. The sharing of food is the basis of social life. When we eat food with people, we build relationship with them. If you like, the table is a place at which relationships are begun and nurtured as we share food together. Uh, That's why in the New Testament, the Pharisees are not happy with whom Jesus is eating. Uh, Jesus, of course, is eating with the lowlifes, the untouchables in society, the, the, the tax collectors and the sinners, and they do not like it one bit. Uh, Matthew 9, verse 11, they say to Jesus and his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So when we bring that home to us today, the point is this. We all probably have very busy lives, but nevertheless, it is important to make time to eat together in our homes, as couples, as families, and in friendships. Uh, We shouldn't just sit in front of the box with food, although there is certainly a very valuable place for that when we just want to unwind, but sharing meals together, it is a valuable opportunity to just get to know each other better. Uh, We've been doing that this morning, the church breakfast. How good was that? Enjoying food together, but also just going a little deeper, finding out how we're going. I know some of the home groups, um, David Bell's home group, they have a meal regularly as part of their weekly get-together, and that provides another level of rich fabric to their relationships together. And so it is a great thing uh, to grow in our relationships through the medium of sharing food together. Let's not neglect this God-given means of getting to know each other better. Okay, another reason uh, and purpose of food is for hospitality. Hospitality is a very important biblical concept. And food, of course, is integral to hospitality. And hospitality is a Christian obligation. Now, I know that for, uh, for some, showing hospitality, hey, it's just natural. It's what they do. It just flows out of the pores of their skin. Uh, for others, it may be a struggle. 
Hospitality may be a stressful experience. It wasn't part of your upbringing. Whichever those be, for all of us, it is a challenge to make it happen in our busy lives. But Romans 12 verse 13 commands us, practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4 verse 9 says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And it's interesting when you get to the criteria for church leaders. Uh, in 1 Timothy 3, hospitality is one of the criterias for a church leader. It's that important. Uh, perhaps you feel that you're not a good enough cook to have others round. Well, it's not a competition. It's not about winning the Chef of Cherrybrook Award. It's about showing welcome and about showing love to others. And if you really, really, really can't bring yourself to inflict your cooking on innocent civilians, then there is always the option of buying in or takeaway or going out for a meal with people. Hospitality, it's important. And one of the especially challenging aspects of hospitality is commanded in Hebrews 13. It says this, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it, referring, of course, to uh, Abraham and Lot in Genesis 18. Jesus picks up on this. Uh, Luke, 9, uh, Luke 14, verse 12, he says this, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, it's not saying we should never have friends round for dinner, but it's saying we should also be hospitable to those who we do not know. Uh, people maybe who we know from our social circles uh, through schools or work. It's a great way of getting to know them. And also, I mean, Amanda Sharp has discovered uh, doing a bit of trawling, and she's come up uh, with an idea which uh, the government's promoting at the moment to welcome refugees. Uh, people can have a groups of refugees uh, come into their home for a meal. And Amanda's looking into that at the moment. Wouldn't that be a great initiative as a church? to be welcoming refugees, to be offering them hospitality. And maybe we can talk about more with uh, Amanda about that. Using hospitality of a means of welcoming strangers. Uh, fifth and final good purpose for food is for celebration. Uh, go back to the Old Testament. Uh, the Israelites have been languishing in exile in Babylon. Finally, they're released, and they come back to their own land, the Promised Land. And uh, the governor, Nehemiah, uh, gathers them together. Uh, they all read from the book of the law. It's quite a long uh, Bible reading. It goes on all morning. And then he says, right, the time has come to party, to celebrate. And he says this, Nehemiah 8, verse 10. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Then all the people went away to eat and to drink and to celebrate with great joy. You see, food was at the heart of their celebration. 
Food was a way of marking this special day. And in the Bible we see uh, special meals are indeed convened when people make uh, covenants, uh, when people have special occasions such as weddings or religious festivals. It seems to me that using food to celebrate is right and proper, and we miss out in some way if we don't do this. Food is a God-given way to celebrate special occasions. And the interesting thing when we think about food in that sense is this. It also lifts our sights to the final celebration which we as Christians can look forward to. It lifts our sights to the celebration of the messianic banquet, the day when Jesus will return and when the new creation will be inaugurated. Isaiah 25 verse 6 says this, speaking of that day, it will be a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Friends, this is a dinner party at which it's worth making sure you've got your place booked. It'll be an incredible banquet. So we thought about, firstly, the source of food. Uh, second, we thought about the good uses of food. Finally, uh, the abuse of food. Uh, food is a gift from God. It's given to us by God to bless us and to enrich our lives in many different ways. And yet the Bible warns us that food also has a dark side. As with any good thing, in a fallen world, we are prone to abuse it. In the Bible, the abuse of food and drink is referred to using two particular terms, uh, gluttony and greed. Uh, gluttony, of course, is uh, an overindulgence, an overconsumption cons of food and drink. Uh, gluttony is a failure to enjoy a good thing in moderation, in perspective. Uh, but Proverbs 23 says this, verse 20. Do not join with those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Uh, the medieval theologians did quite a bit of work on gluttony and they identified uh, several forms of gluttony, several ways in which it expresses itself. I found this quite helpful. This said, certainly, yes, it can be um, where there's an excessive consumption of food, in other words, binging. But they also said, we can be gluttonous when we are snobbish about food. When we say, only the richest, only the best foods will do for me. And we become very picky and very proud. They also picked up on the abuse of food by being impulsive, demanding it right now. I want my food now. It's quite interesting the way that they dug down to see and to expose gluttony in all its gory uh, disglory. So there's gluttony. There's also greed. Uh, greed is defined in the dictionary as an excessive desire, especially for food or wealth. Colossians 3, verse 5. To the New Testament Christian, uh, it says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. What is at the heart of the problem when it comes to abusing food? Do you notice their diagnosis in that very verse? Did you pick up on it? It's in the last word. Idolatry. We take a good thing, 
and we make it into an ultimate thing. We make it into an idol. We make it into a counterfeit God in our lives. There is great interest in our food in society, is there not? Uh, look at the proliferation of TV, TV programs on food. You can hardly turn on your telly at night without seeing some program on food. I pick up your newspaper. You've got your weekend uh, Australian. It's about two inches thick, and one inch of it is probably a food guide and a food supplement. You just can't get away from it. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing because food is a good gift of God, and it is given to enrich our lives. But it has the potential for becoming an idol. And the question then is this. How do we guard against it becoming an idol? Or if it's become an idol, how do we dethrone it? If you were with us last week, we touched on this, didn't we, uh, in relation to alcohol, because the principles are the same. If you recall last week, we saw that firstly we need to assess and be honest. That we acknowledge the idol to ourselves, uh, to others we trust, and also ultimately to God. And we make a decision in our heart. I'm going to turn from this idol. I want to be rid of this idol. We repent, in other words. But it doesn't stop there. Because secondly, we seek God's help. We say to God, please, Help me to be rid of this idol, but give me, do it by giving me a deeper love and a passion for you. If you remember last week, uh, we went to Ephesians 5 verse 18, because there, if you like, we saw there was a formula for dethroning an idol. Let's look at it again. Uh, it said, do not get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit. But you see, you could equally read, uh, do not abuse food, instead be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit, it's all about having this deeper experience and this deeper joy in God. Remember the uh, Thomas Chalmers quote last week, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection, that is a bad affection, is by the expulsive power of a new one. Jesus needs to become more attractive to our hearts than the idol. The idol needs to be pushed out by a greater love. So we assess, then we seek a deeper joy in God, and then thirdly, we seek God's help in moving forward in a positive way, and particularly in honoring God with our body. The New Testament talks of our body in terms of a temple, a temple in which God's Spirit lives. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says this, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. What does it mean to honor God with our body? Uh, well, if you go to the original context in 1 Corinthians 6, it's talking particularly about uh, sexual immorality. It says don't use our bodies for that. That is not to honor God's with our bodies, but it's more than just that. Uh, I think it also means that we should look after our bodies in terms of what we do with them with food, healthy eating. So as we close, let's think about some specific struggles that people have with food. Uh, the hazards of too much junk food 
uh, became clear in the 2004 documentary, uh, Supersize Me. Don't know if you've seen it. Uh, director Morgan Spurlock conducts a social experiment where he spends 30 days eating nothing but McDonald's. Poor chap, I know. Let me tell you what happened. In that time, his body mass index, his BMI, goes from healthy to overweight. Uh, he gains 10 kilograms, and he experiences all sorts of unexpected and terrifying side effects. Uh, his energy level plummets. He experiences mood swings, uh, sexual dysfunction, and liver damage, all in 30 days. So that is not looking after the temple. Not saying there's anything wrong with McDonald's as a one-off. I take my kids there for birthdays, but I won't be taking them there every day of the week for a month. I don't want to see them bloom. I really don't. Uh, the current figures for obesity in Australia are staggering. Uh, Australia is ranked as one of the fattest nations in the developing world. Uh, the prevalence of obesity in Australia has more than doubled in the past 20 years. Uh, 14 million Australians are overweight, with over 5 million of those being obese. Obesity has overtaken smoking as the leading cause of premature death and illness in Australia. The issue with that is not just about eating too much, but eating junk food and not getting enough exercise. Wouldn't it be an indictment if the figures among Christians were no different to that of the population at large? Are we being responsible stewards of our bodies through our diet? Another specific area where food, people struggle with food abuse is eating disorders. Uh, we know, of course, eating disorders, uh, disorders stem from a mental illness. Uh, relationships with food can be extremely complex and painful for some people, especially for women. If you've ever struggled uh, with anorexia or bulimia, you will know that. Uh, firstly, anorexia, that's, um, it's a psychological disorder. Uh, it's characterized by an obsessive desire to lose weight by refusing to eat food. Uh, the famous 1970s musical artist Karen Carpenter suffered from this. There she is with her brother Richard. Uh, the Carpenters, of course, were an American vocal and instrumental duo uh, consisting of Karen and Richard Carpenter. Uh, they produced a distinctively soft musical style that dominated the charts throughout all the 1970s. Uh, they became amongst the best-selling mu musical artists of all time. And yet, in spite of her great musical achievements, Karen struggled with low self-esteem. Uh, offstage, away from the spotlight, she felt desperately unloved by her mother, Agnes, who favoured her brother, Richard. Uh, the New York Times magazine commented, and I quote, if anorexia has classically been defined as a young woman's struggle for control, then Karen was a prime candidate. For the thing she valued the most in the world, her mother's love, was the exclusive property of her brother Richard. At least she could control the size of her own body, and control it she did. Eventually she did develop anorexia nervosa, 
from which she never recovered. And by 1975, her weight had fallen to 41 kilograms. She died on the 4th of February, 1983, at the age of 32. If anorexia is characterized by undereating, then bulimia can be characterized by either over or undereating. Uh, bulimia is a, another psychological disorder, and it manifests itself in a cycle of binge eating followed by self-induced vomiting, purging, or fasting. Most people enter this cycle as a way of dealing with troubling and unwanted feelings, uh, anger, pain, loneliness, guilt, and self-loathing. They either try to starve their emotions by restricting their food or to comfort their emotions by binging on food. Uh, the most famous example of this is Princess Diana. Uh, she was, of course, a global icon. Uh, she had everything to live for, a beauty, fame, and fortune. However, she also struggled in a troubled marriage to Prince Charles and a very difficult relationship with the rest of the royals. And consequently, she turned to food for comfort, and she developed the condition of bulimia. And she commented later, and I quote, You inflict it upon yourself because your self-esteem is at a low ebb, and you don't think that you're worthy or valuable. You fill your stomach up to four or five times a day. Some do it more. It gives you a feeling of comfort. It's like a pair of arms around you, but it's temporary. Then you are disgusted at the bloatedness of your stomach, and you bring it all up again. Diana did receive professional help, and Diana did recover from her bulimia. If you are struggling with an eating disorder, I would encourage you to seek professional help. And for those of us for whom such things are foreign, we need to tread very carefully. Because it is a big and serious issue for many people, and it's also a problem that is hidden. Someone's spouse may be suffering from this condition without them even realizing it. In all this talk of food, we need to remember that food, the food we need ultimately from God, is not just physical. We also need spiritual food. In John 6, verse 27, Jesus says to the crowds, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So food is a wonderful gift from God. Food gives us energy. Food is given to us to enjoy life. Food is given to us to help build relationships. But it can't give us eternal life. It can't ultimately save our bodies from death, physical or spiritual. And one day, we will eat our last meal here in this life. And therefore, thank God for Jesus, the bread of life, because through trusting in Him now, we will eat at the great banquet of God in the renewed creation. Let's thank God now. Shall we pray? 
Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful gift of food. Uh, it is a gift from you, and it has so many wonderful and positive purposes in our lives and in our world. Help us to enjoy it and to keep it in its correct perspective. Uh, for those of us who have struggles in this area in particular, please help us, we pray, in those struggles with food. And we know that area is very complex, and it's not a simple solution. But please, we pray, help us in those struggles. And thank you for your provision, not just of physical food, but spiritual food, the bread that gives us eternal life. Thank you that when we trust in Jesus, we have that bread, and it sustains us through into the new creation and on forever. Help us, therefore, to keep trusting in Jesus, and thank you for Jesus, the bread of life. Amen.